Well, I would love so much for you to take your Bibles and begin making your way to Exodus chapter 20, where we find ourselves again as we go through the Ten Commandments this summer and look at how these apply to us as the church. As you do so, I was thinking this week about laws that just don't really make sense. And one of my favorite nonsense laws out there is actually here, Washington State. You might not know this, but we have the law, it's called the Undiscovered Species Protection Act, which states that it's illegal to harass Bigfoot, Sasquatch, or any of his ape cousins. I'm serious, this is a real law. I found the full text of the law, and you could be fined $100,000 or 10 years in prison if you harass Bigfoot. So stop it already. Of course, as we think about laws that are strange and as our society has shifted a lot over the years, there are a lot of laws out there that we don't really enforce anymore, but they're still on the books dealing with what you can and can't do on Sunday. And I I just have a little list of interesting laws that uh, relate to Sunday. What what can't you do on Sunday? Uh, For instance, in Alabama, and I'm just going to say, I did not go and find the references on all these, okay? So take them or leave them. Do your research if you want to. In Alabama, supposedly dominoes may not be played on Sunday. It's also illegal to wear a fake mustache that causes people to laugh in church. So leave your mustaches at home. I always wonder, what's the story behind that law? What did somebody do? In Idaho, it's illegal to ride a merry-go-round on Sunday. Uh, In several states, it's illegal to sell a car unless it's your private seller, but otherwise don't sell a car on Sunday. Indiana, it's illegal to collect rags on Sunday. Uh, In Baltimore, illegal to play croquet before 2 p.m. on a Sunday. Uh, One of my favorite ones, New Hampshire, not only is unlawful to run machinery on Sunday, but if you're using the bathroom, you're not allowed to look up. Okay, don't do that. Not on a Sunday. Uh, in, In Ohio... It's illegal to fish for whales on a Sunday. (laughs) I don't know why. It's true. That is one I did look up. Uh, In Pennsylvania, it's illegal to hunt on a Sunday. Uh, Rhode Island, illegal to sell toothbrushes or toothpaste on a Sunday. Uh, Virginia, illegal to sell peanut brittle on a Sunday. And in our own state of Washington, supposedly there's places where it's illegal to buy meat or a mattress on Sunday. Uh, So we look at these laws and we think, boy, these don't really make any sense. And as a society, we certainly have become more casual as a society. Uh, What you weren't allowed to do on a Sunday now doesn't really, these laws just don't make a lot of sense to us. And you know, it's interesting because today we come to the fourth commandment, which has to do with Sabbath. And for us, this can be one that's, it's kind of difficult, um, Oh, what are you allowed to do and not allowed to do? And, and we think about Sunday and, and what should you do? And, and I know some of us come from backgrounds where Sunday includes long lists of things that you should not do on a Sunday. And I imagine that just as our society has gotten a bit more casual, uh, for most of us, probably our lists have gotten a lot shorter over the years. But we come to this passage today, we're going to look at the Sabbath and, and talk about these things. Is Sabbath, like some of those laws, is it outdated? Is it something that nobody really cares about anymore? Or how does it apply to us? And I, I got to admit to you, I, I come to this sermon with a little bit of fear and trepidation. 
Uh, one, because uh, honestly, as, as a person, I'm just not a list person. So I'm not one of those people who has a lot of rules for what you do and don't do on Sunday. On the other hand, I also being a pastor, I work Sunday and I am really, really bad about sometimes finding another day to take off. Um, I'm just not super disciplined in that area. So if you're looking for someone who's a super disciplined, take a day off person, I, I fail in that area. And boy, I looked at this passage and it's like, why was I given the Sabbath passage? And then I looked at it and said, why was I given the Sabbath passage the Sunday after day camp? Because um, you know, I did not take a day off this week. Um, and yet, as I studied, I found this study really helpful, really beneficial, really challenging. And I hope that our time together this morning is equally helpful and beneficial and challenging to you as well. So what I would like to do, I want to pray and ask God for his help in, in this time together. And then we're going to jump in and, and read God's word together. Okay, so would you join me? Let's pray. And then we'll continue from there. Uh, God, we do thank you for this morning. Thank you so much that you are a God who invites us to gather together, invites us to worship you. You are a God who invites us into relationship. And oh God, you are so deserving of our worship. And how good it is, Lord, that you've given us our, the scriptures so that we can learn truth about you, so that we can worship you rightly, and so that we can look at our own lives and, and adjust things and realign our lives with who you are. And God, I would ask that you would help us to do that today. It's not something that we're able to just do out of our own strength, our own willpower, but as we learn about you, as we read your word, we need your Holy Spirit working in us, making us teachable, helping us to see areas, helping us to make changes. Oh God, sanctify us this morning. We need your help in this. And I just pray as I speak that you would help me with my word choice and all those things and help us all to be people who are good students, good hearers, listeners, ready to do the work that's necessary. And so, God, we ask for your help in these things. We thank you for this time, and we pray all this in your Son's name and through your Spirit. Amen. All right, so our passage today, we come to the fourth commandment in Exodus chapter 20. And uh, rather than reading the entire uh, Ten Commandments as we have in past weeks, I have a lot of scripture we're going to read today. So I'm going to read just the fourth commandment about the Sabbath, and you can follow along with me. Exodus 20, starting in verse 8. And God says this, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord has made the heavens and the earth and sea and all that's in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So we come to our passage today and, and we see that here we are looking at the Sabbath, a, a day to take off of work and to worship God, to make it holy to God. What's very interesting is that you may know this, may not, but the Ten Commandments shows up in two places in the Bible, in Exodus 20, which we've been studying, and also in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And there are actually some differences between the two lists, uh, because one is God speaking to his people. And, and in Deuteronomy, what we have is, is Moses is reciting the Ten Commandments. And Deuteronomy is kind of like Moses' farewell speech. 
He's recounting all the things that God's done. He's giving some final reminders, and he takes on kind of a pastoral approach. So, so he adds a few things. He, he looks at things through a slightly more pastoral lens for the people. He's been with these people for a while, so he kind of knows some of their tendencies. And the biggest differences between these two lists of the Ten Commandments is in this fourth commandment, the Sabbath. Whereas in Exodus, the purpose of the Sabbath is shown to be God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh. And in the list in Deuteronomy, he looks to how God took us out of slavery in Egypt. He's looking at the Israelites and saying, God delivered you uh, from slavery, and this is why you keep the Sabbath. What I want to do before we start talking about uh, this commandment, I would like to read from Deuteronomy 5. And what I would suggest, you can either turn there or you could follow along looking at Exodus and then you can kind of see where the differences lie. But I'm going to read Deuteronomy 5, 12 through 15. Very similar passage, some slight differences. Again, we we get Moses' pastoral heart here speaking to his people. And he says this, Observe the Sabbath day. To keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord, your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So there we have two references to the fourth commandment. We have two different reasons given that kind of give us a more comprehensive view of what is God after in the Sabbath. And we want to take a look at this. What is the Sabbath all about? And I think the first thing we want to see, I want us to see is that the Sabbath reflects God's character. That God by his nature is a God of rest. That rest is a good gift from God. That he's a God who rested. And therefore, we should be people who rest. And, and, and we can think about all the benefits that rest gives us, the physical benefits, the, the mental benefits, but there's also spiritual benefits to rest. And we, we see as we look in the Bible over and over again, rest is a good gift from God. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is Elijah when he has the showdown with the prophets of Baal and he defeats them. It's spectacular. It's the the high point. It's the victory. And yet then they really want to get him. So he's on the run and he's worn out and tired and he finds himself in the wilderness. And finally he just lays down and he's like, God, just let me die. I'm done. There's nobody else that's left that's righteous. I'm the only one. I have seen all the other prophets killed. Um, God, I'm just done with life. I don't know if you ever get like that. I'm kind of have more that tendency when I'm really tired and worn down. I tend to towards more depression than anything. There's that weariness. And Elijah was there. And, And the truth of the matter is he wasn't the only faithful person left, was he? Uh, there were other faithful people. There are people who had not bowed down to the idol, Baal. And yet at that moment, What God didn't do was he didn't like smack Elijah upside the head and say, actually, here's the truth. Let me tell you that you're not the only one. Now, you know what God does in this moment? He lets Elijah sleep. Then Elijah wakes up and he ministers to him. Angels give him bread and water. He eats and he lets him sleep again. Then he wakes up and eats again. 
and goes on his way. God lets him get his rest. And then God comes to him and says, actually, there's quite a few people left who are righteous. Your ministry is not done, but he's a God of rest. He gives Elijah what he needs. And we see that sort of characteristic in God. Uh, we, we see that he, 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 he loves us and he gives us this. So first thing we see in the Sabbath, not only it reflects God's character, but it's a gift from God. Now, Sabbath, though, is more than just physical rest. It's more than just ceasing physical activity or doing a hobby or taking a vacation. What we actually need is deep spiritual rest. Deep spiritual rest. I have a condition called sleep apnea. Some of you, I'm sure, in this room have that as well. It's the thing that when you go to sleep, you stop breathing. And so your body, your mind wakes up just enough to make yourself take a gasp of air. And the problem with sleep apnea is you can get eight hours of sleep every night, but you wake up feeling like you got none because your brain never gets into that deep REM sleep that you need. Uh, Rather, you're always waking up. For myself, I wake up like 60 times an hour. So every minute I'm waking up just enough. I don't know I'm waking up, but just enough. And so when it goes undiagnosed, it leads to things like depression and short attention spans and all sorts of stuff. Uh, Before I had it diagnosed, I was in school and I was always falling asleep in school. Couldn't stay awake to save my life. Had trouble with my classes. Uh, When I got it fixed, it was a whole world of difference. But it kind of reminds me, it gives me this, uh, this example of it's not just when it comes to sleep, it's not just quantity of sleep, right? It's quality of sleep. And when it comes to rest, spiritual rest, it's not just quantity of rest. It's not uh, the whole idea behind Sabbath isn't just like take a lot of vacation or do a lot of hobbies or take a lot of days off. It's about quality. And you see, sometimes we can think of rest and think of Sabbath only in terms of taking off work. And, and we miss that there's something deeper going on here. Uh, I once heard Tim Keller talking about Sabbath, and he kind of put this in a, a framework that was helpful for me. He talked about we all have vocations, things we do, our work, it's the surface level things we do, our daily activity. And yeah, we need a rest from that, but there's actually a deeper level of work that we need rest from. This deeper level of work is the things that motivate us. It's our drive. In our culture, we have a lot of things pushing us to drive us. You know, in our culture, we get our identity oftentimes from our work. Uh, Like no other time in history, we're told to find all our meaning and all our significance in what we do at work. So there's a greater burden put on our work. Uh, we, We oftentimes feel like I need to prove that I'm not a failure. I need to be successful. I need to get my identity. I need to find my significance. And so there's this underlying work that's going on in our souls that drives us to keep going, keep going, keep going. And we need a rest from that as well. Not just the activity I do, but from that deeper work that goes on in my heart. It's kind of like you get that picture of the athlete who works. They're driven to get the gold medal. And they do all their work and they work tirelessly to get the gold medal. And what happens when they get the gold medal? They find it's not enough and then they're driven to go go more and go more and get the next gold medal. And so what this whole Sabbath rest principle is about isn't just ceasing activity, but it's looking for a deeper spiritual rest. Now, how does Sabbath do this? What was God after? How does he accomplish this? Well, there's several things that Sabbath rest helps us with. The first thing is that it helps us exercise the discipline of satisfaction. 
You see in a Sabbath rest and Sabbath, we see that one of the reasons Exodus gives us is that God rested on the seventh day. What does that mean that God rested? Does this mean God went to sleep? Does it mean he ceased being God or ceased providing protection over people and creation? Well, I don't think that's what it means because the Bible states several places that God doesn't sleep. For instance, Psalm 121, I list on your study sheet. It says, my help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he keeps Israel with neither sleep or slumber. So God is a God who doesn't rest. He doesn't sleep in that sense. He never stops his protective work. He never ceases being God. So what does it mean that he rested on the seventh day? I think if we look in Genesis, we kind of see this pattern. After the first day of creation, God looked at it, and what did he say? It's good. The next day, it's good. It's good until he got to that final day, and what did he say? It's very good. It's almost as though God was saying it's good, but not good enough. It's good, not good enough. It's good, not, and then finally he got to a place where he said, it's good enough. Now it's time to cease the, the labor and to enjoy, to be satisfied in what's been created. You see, we need the same thing in our lives. And that's what Sabbath does is it allows us to exercise this practice of saying, it's good enough. I'm satisfied. I'm going to enjoy what I have. Then my daughter and I, we play this video game on our iPad. It's the dragon game where you hatch dragons and you're breeding dragons and you're trying to get the really rare dragons. And it's kind of addictive as all video games are intended to be. And, and what I found is that you're always seeking to get this next cool dragon. I can't wait to get this one. And then as soon as you get it, what do you do? They already have a new dragon ready for you to get. I mean, I got a notification on my phone this morning that the now available, the Leah dragon, don't miss out, hatch it. You never have a chance to just enjoy what you got. You're always seeking the next thing. And that can kind of be what life is like. Do you ever have enough money? Well, we see people get caught in this cycle. I don't have enough money. Do you ever have enough power, enough influence, enough credit, enough relational connections? And we can get into this drive. And what God does is in calling us to Sabbath to say, take a day off and say, good enough. I'm going to enjoy what God is giving me. It's a discipline. It's not easy. That's why it's called a discipline. But it's a discipline that, that God does for us. It's good enough. Sabbath rest also reminds us that God is the redeemer. So whereas in Exodus, we saw God is the God who rests on the seventh day of creation. Now in in Deuteronomy, we saw that God is the God who saved Israel out of slavery. And so it points to God as the redeemer. And it says, you're free. When you were a slave, you didn't get a chance to take a day off. So take a day off and remember that God redeemed you. A chance to look at God as redeemer. And, and it's not just a past thing, but it's also to say, I'm looking to God as my redeemer. I, I need redemption. And so for Israel, it was not just a look back, but it was a look forward. And it was intended to celebrate freedom. So any time we get into a practice of Sabbath that makes me feel restricted, I think maybe something's wrong. Sabbath rest also reminds me, it helps me to practice that God is my provider. You know, one of the things I love about sleep, the theology of sleep, so to say, is it allows us to practice every night putting our complete trust in God. 
Because no matter how much I think that I hold the world together, at the end of every day, I come to this place where I have to go to sleep. And for, I don't know how many hours it is for you, whether it's four hours or five hours or six hours or 12 hours of sleep. Do any of you get 12 hours of sleep? No matter how long it is, there's this moment where you are no longer in control and you just have to trust God will still keep the world working and that you'll wake up in the morning. That is one of the benefits and the gifts of sleep. And, and what the Sabbath does is it allows us to take the same principle and turn it into a mindful discipline. It's for me to look at God and say, God, you're the provider. And, and today I don't have to hold the entire world together. You know, the very first place that Sabbath is mentioned is actually a few chapters before Exodus 20 and Exodus 16. And the children of Israel and God is providing bread for them, manna. Every day they're supposed to wake up and, and gather this bread. And, and part of the principle here is you're trusting God to be your provider and you're not supposed to gather more than you need. If you gather more than you need, it goes rotten. And yet on, on the sixth day, you're supposed to gather double portion because on the seventh day, it's intended to be a Sabbath. A day of rest, and you're not supposed to gather. So God gives them this command, and what do the people of Israel do right away? Moses wakes up, and he finds Israelites outside on the Sabbath looking for manna on the ground. And God's thinking, how, how, how stubborn are these people? Don't you understand? I'm giving you a day of rest. God is showing them in this that he's the provider. You trust me. So much of what... Uh, God gave Israel in terms of provisions, in terms of rules and boundaries, was to remember that discipline of God's the provider. God is the one who takes care of me. I put my trust in God. And Sabbath does this for us. You know, if, if you are a person who tends more towards that, I have to hold the world together. This is an area that Sabbath is intended to work in your heart. When you're out of the office, are you ever completely out or are you there mentally or electronically? Is there ever a moment in your life where you just say, I'm not the one holding the world together today. I'm putting my trust in God. So these are several things that Sabbath does. Now, quick recap then. Sabbath is a good gift from God. And not only does rest good for us physically, but it gives us spiritual rest. It's intended for deeper spiritual rest. And it's intended to help us to practice satisfaction it helps us to rest in the freedom of God's redemption, to look at God as redeemer. And it also is intended to help us to remember it's God who provides. Now, as we think about all these things, then what it leads us to necessarily is remembering that I am not God. It's God who is God. And therefore, it necessarily moves me into a posture of worship. And that is what the Sabbath is for. Not just rest, but it's for me to worship God. In Leviticus, uh, there's several um, instructions given about holy days and ceremonies and, and, and whatnot in Leviticus 23. And one of the things they mention in, in all the festivals is Sabbath. And listen to what Leviticus 23.3 says about Sabbath. It says, six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation, you shall do no work. It's a Sabbath to the Lord and all your dwelling places. What does that mean? A holy convocation. Some other translations say a sacred assembly. See, one of the things that Sabbath is for is it's not just for me to enjoy hobbies or time off, but Sabbath is intended to 
be a time where I come together in public worship of God with other believers. And so this is what God desires is not just to take a break from work, but to come together and, and to worship him. Because if I'm practicing all these principles, it necessarily moves me to worshiping him. Now, before we move on here, I want us to not miss the importance of work. Sabbath does not condemn work. And without work, Sabbath can't really be practiced. You notice in the command of Sabbath, work is a component of this. You work six days, you rest one day. You know what the Bible says about seven days of Sabbath in a row? That's laziness. <laughs> you know, the Bible condemns slothfulness. It warns, Proverbs warns about laziness. You're not supposed to be in permanent Sabbath mode, right? But you're also not supposed to be in permanent work mode either. And what's interesting is there's not a dichotomy in the Hebrew mindset between work and worship. Work is worship. Actually, the same word is used of work and worship in the Bible. But whereas my work can be done as worship to God, it's still me providing for myself. And God says, I give you six days to do that, to build up your estate, to provide for yourself. But one day I want you to set aside where you're not providing for yourself, but you're remembering I'm the provider and this is special worship to me. So it's all worship, but... Six days is work worshiped. One day is worship to God in community. So it doesn't condemn work. In fact, the Bible, sometimes we see work as a, a, a curse, right? But is that the, the truth? When did God first give work? It was in the garden, right? Before there was a fall. Adam and Eve had work. Work is a blessing from God. It's also a gift from God. Now, the fall brought along curses that made work not always fun and enjoyable, but work itself is a good thing. Okay, so oh, where do we go from here? Well, it's interesting as you read the Old Testament, there's not a whole lot said about the details of what Sabbath should look like. Uh, a lot developed over the years historically about what you could and could not do on the Sabbath. And when we come to Jesus's day, we see that the Sabbath became kind of oppressive. They, they, they had all these rules and they kind of missed some of the point of the Sabbath. Um, and so what I want to do is I want to invite you to go with me to Luke chapter six. We're going to look at a few passages here and just build a little bit more of our understanding. So we see some of the purpose behind the Sabbath so far, but we want to see how Jesus responded to the Sabbath and, and what he did. So look at Luke chapter six with me. And I'm going to read through verse 11, verse one through verse 11 it says this on Sabbath, on a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what's not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those that were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those with him. And he said to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Going on, on another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath, and so, so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and he stood there. And Jesus said to him, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or destroy it, 
And after looking around at them, he said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and disgust with one another, what they might do to Jesus. So Jesus in his ministry is kind of poking at the bee's nest a little bit here. And we see that Sabbath had become this oppressive thing. They were getting mad at his disciples for picking grain and eating on the Sabbath. They were getting mad at Jesus for healing on the Sabbath. In fact, one author talks about some of the debates they had. He says this, by the first century, Jewish rabbis gave intense attention to debating Sabbath restrictions. My favorite such debate, the author says, is this. If an egg is found under a hen on Sabbath morning, may it be eaten. It's a technical question when, after all, is the labor performed? The hen's not available for interrogation. If the egg was a product of labor on the Sabbath, you couldn't eat the egg. But if the labor came before the Sabbath and you merely found the egg on the Sabbath, it was a gift. This is where things went to. And in fact, there's other discussions of, well, if somebody, you know, a wall falls on somebody, can you help them on a Sabbath? Well, it depends how injured they are. If your mother-in-law falls outside and needs your help, is it okay to help her? Well, is she really in dire straits or can you leave her overnight and come back? (laughs) Do you see that this kind of got out of order a bit and it was missing the point of what God was after? And this is what Jesus is approaching. Now, I want you to see this, that Jesus called himself the Lord of the Sabbath. He wasn't, he didn't come and say, you know what? The Sabbath is dumb. It's outdated. It doesn't need to be practiced. That's not what he did. He loved the Sabbath. The Sabbath speaks truth about God and God's character. It's a gift from God, but he saw how people had misused it. As Lord of the Sabbath, he's restoring what it was intended to be. So notice what he does. He, he allows his disciples to take care of their hunger on the Sabbath. He allows for a man to be healed. Now, I love that he healed a man with a withered hand because you're allowed to help somebody whose life was in jeopardy on the Sabbath, but a withered hand, his life's not in jeopardy. But Jesus is showing that, you know, the Sabbath isn't something that gets in the way of me doing what's right or practicing mercy or practicing justice. So Jesus was showing that he's the Lord of the Sabbath. And one of the things I think that's really interesting we see here is that there's the moral aspect of the Sabbath that supersedes the ceremonial aspect. And it's kind of interesting. In a pinch, you could discard certain things in the Sabbath. You know, not permanently, but in a pinch. If you need to eat, it's okay. He points back to David. David needed to eat. He ate the bread of presence. You're not supposed to do that. But David was not condemned for doing that. Uh, Now, that's very interesting because as we think about the other laws in the New Testament, Uh, those are moral laws that you can't just break in a pinch, right? There's never a moment where it's okay for me to commit adultery. But in the ceremonial aspect of the Sabbath, we're looking at there are times where it's okay to, to break the Sabbath if you're in a pinch. But notice what Jesus isn't saying. He's not saying that we just get rid of the Sabbath. We don't get rid of the moral aspect of the Sabbath. There's never a moment where I'm called not to rest in God, not to seek God for my rest, not to remember that God is my redeemer. There's never a moment where I'm called not to continue in my worship of God. And so Jesus does these things. Now, what is so interesting here is that these people get furious at Jesus. They seek to get him. And of course, eventually they do. They crucify him. And, you know, there's an irony here because in crucifying Jesus, okay, he's already the Lord of the Sabbath, but in a sense there. They're making him the Lord of the Sabbath, aren't they? 
Because it's on the cross where Jesus truly fulfilled what Sabbath was all about. See, earlier I said Sabbath looked at God as a redeemer, but don't just look back at God as redeemer, but looked forward to God as redeemer. There's a need for a deeper rest, a permanent rest, an ultimate rest. And we see that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath is the one who provides that. Uh, Hebrews talks about this and Hebrews chapter four is another passage you can look at, but we see that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. He's the ultimate rest we need. Listen to what Hebrews four says. I'm going to read from verse seven. It says again, he appoints points a certain day today saying through David so long afterward and the words already quoted today. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. In other words, you hear the gospel, don't reject it. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. What does the writer of Hebrews mean that the one who enters God's rest has rested from his works? What works are we talking about? Are we talking about vocational works? I think we're talking about that deep inner work of our soul, that work that says there's something broken in my relationship with God, that, that need to restore that relationship, the, the need to prove myself, the, the need to find an identity, those things that oftentimes we rely on ourselves for, we, we rely on myself to make my identity. And in Jesus, we find he provides ultimate rest. It is when I put my trust in Jesus that I, I'm able to stop toiling to prove myself right with God, to make myself right with God. That work is finished. Ultimate rest. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. This is what the whole Sabbath pointed to the whole time. You see Sabbath, yes, it's, it's about taking a rest and being refreshed and worshiping God. But ultimately, the whole Sabbath is pointing to our need for ultimate rest, the need for a Savior. And we find that in Jesus. We find it in Jesus. I want to say here on, on your study sheet, I put um, one final thought here because this points to this as well, this ultimate rest. You see, when sleep won't fix my problems, practicing Sabbath helps me to look to my future hope. And here's the thing. I know in this room there are, are different circumstances going on in your lives. And I know that in the human condition, there are deep hurts that a night's sleep does not fix. That a vacation, no matter how opulent, doesn't address. Uh, There are times where there is just weariness and brokenness that that cannot be fixed on a day off. So if that's the case, should we just ignore the Sabbath? Does it make any sense to practice Sabbath principles in our life? Well, I say yes, because why? Well, in practicing that day where we're looking to God, reminding us of those things, it helps me to practice that my hope is in Christ. That there is a day coming that all that weariness will be addressed. All that difficulty will be addressed. A day of final, perfect rest. It's a day to exercise the practice of restoring hope, to remember that I have hope. And so it is is a very good thing for me. It's a good thing for you. So what do we do with all this? How do we respond to God's word today? Let's, let's talk about a few things here as we 
uh, wrap up. First of all, I know that anytime we talk about Sabbath, there's a lot of questions, like just really practical questions. I throw some of them on your study sheet. Uh, should Christians worship on Sunday or Saturday? Sabbath was on Saturday. Why are we worshiping on Sunday? Should I quit my job on a Sunday? What am I allowed to do on a Sunday? Is it okay to wash my car on a Sunday? Um, and there's some things that I think we should talk about. Uh, ultimately, let, let's, let's, let's look at a few of these. Uh, in terms of the day of the week, Sabbath was Saturday. So why are Christians worshiping on Sunday? Well, a lot of this ties back to what the early church was doing. In Scripture, we see that the early church started worshiping on the first day of the week because it was the Lord's day. It was the day that Christ was risen from the dead. It was a day to celebrate and to come together. And we see, for instance, in Acts 27 through 12, this is the story, you might be familiar with it, where Eutychus was sitting in a window while Paul preached, and he got really tired, and he fell out of the window. Uh, Why did he get tired? Well, they were meeting late at night, because a lot of them were slaves. They didn't get a day off, but they're meeting late at night. On what day? On the first day of the week. And so we see the church meeting coming together on the first day of the week. In 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through, 12, 1 through 2, Paul instructs Christians to collect their money on the first day of the week as they're taking money and to help people. Um, I believe that's to help the church in Jerusalem. And so we see some historic precedents for meeting on the Lord's Day on Sunday. We also see kind of a shift in the view of Sabbath. For instance, Paul says this in Colossians two sixteen through 17. He says, therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. In other words, Paul's looking at this and saying the Sabbath pointed to something greater. We found that. That's found in Jesus. Therefore, there's freedom in terms of all these ceremonial things. There's not this thing that if you're not taking Saturday off, you're sinning before God. We have freedom in this. And yet the principles of Sabbath, that Sabbath was intended to do, we're not, we're not freed from that. That's still a good gift from God. So what about things of what do I do on a Sunday or what, what don't I do? Well, you know, I think we have a lot of freedom there too. And, and a lot of the things we just have to come and ask ourselves some of these foundational questions. Um, because here's the thing, for instance, I don't like telling people not to work on Sunday. Why, why not? Well, I know here I am, I, I have a good college education, I have a master's degree, I have a lot of freedom in vocation. I don't have to be working at a church. But I also know that for the single mother with three kids who might only have a GED, she might not have the same freedom of employment. And so she might find herself in a situation that she has to work on a Sunday. Far above my pay grade to say, you shall not work on Sundays. All right. I think there's areas of freedom that you come before God and you say, what am I allowed to do? What should I do? Is this wise for me to do this? After all, notice that these uh, whole Sabbath commands were directed to an entire nation from top to bottom. And really they're directed at the leaders because what are the, what's the command saying? Well, not only should you not work, but make sure that your servants aren't working either. We live in a country that doesn't protect Sabbath at the top levels, and it's not for us to put the burden on working class, right? So I think there's freedom here. And ultimately, I think it comes down to some of the principles. Let's look at these. First of all, I think that we need to be careful that Sabbath does not become about legalism. And my approach to Sabbath, if my approach to Sabbath is worrying about getting something wrong, then I'm missing the point of it. We're called to be, we're not called to be driven by fear or 
called to be creating lists of things not to do. And I think it's far healthier to remember what the Sabbath was given for. And then in freedom, ask myself, how do I apply this? For instance, here's some of the things we looked at today. Do I take breaks from my striving to practice finding my identity in God rather than in my accomplishments? Do I ever exercise the practice of putting a break from my striving to remember that I don't hold the world together, that God does? Is there ever a moment where I'm remembering that God is my redeemer, not me? And I think this leads to our next application then, because not only should Sabbath not become about legalism, but we also need to remember that Sabbath's not about mere recreation. The Sabbath's a call to worship. So if I'm doing all these things, if I, I can say yes to these questions, then it's driving me to worship. Do I set aside time to worship God in community? If it's just about me taking a break off of work, then it doesn't really drive me as a worshiper. But if I'm remembering these things, if I'm exercising trust of God, if I'm exercising satisfaction of what God's given me, if I'm exercising trust of God as Redeemer, then it drives me to a place of worship. And in that case, I say, yes, it's really good for us to take a day and devote it to God as worship. It really is. So these are questions for us to consider. But ultimately, here's the big thing, folks. Ultimately, what we need the most is we need to be looking to the Lord of the Sabbath. Do we find our significance in him? You see, if, if you are, are here today and you haven't trusted Christ as your Savior, what you don't need, you don't need a vacation. You need eternal hope and eternal rest. You need a ceasing of your toiling to find your significance within yourself and your abilities. You need to find that identity and that significance in Christ. And for us who sit here and we have trusted Christ, the same thing is true for us. We need to be in the practice, the disciplined practice of looking to God as the Lord, looking to Christ as Lord of the Sabbath of saying, I don't hold the world together because here's the thing. I can trust Christ and I can still fall into that habit and pattern of holding the world together. All depends on me. I am not the savior. Jesus is the savior. And these are things we need to remember. I hope this is helpful. I hope it is challenging and good for us. And I would invite us to stand and I'd love to pray for us in these things as we make our way out today. Pray with me, please. God, we do thank you for the time in your word this morning. Thank you for the reminders of why you created Sabbath in the first place and and help us to not despise those things, but to embrace them and to enjoy them and benefit from them. God, your Sabbath is not an outdated rule or law that makes no sense like some of those things we looked at at the beginning. It's not whale hunting in Ohio. God, it is good from us and it reflects you. So help us in that today, Lord. God, and where everybody is going this week, I don't know where we find ourselves at work or in the home or in the classroom. God, I pray that you would give us wisdom, help us to lean on you, to depend on you, help us to uh, walk in a way that glorifies you. And I would pray that you would do this with us and among us. I lift up this congregation to you this week. Praise you for this time. We praise your name, Lord. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.